When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are our Transfer Market insiders and pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, Jose Mourinho wants signings and Yeri Mina and Harry Maguire are on the Manchester United list. But are they the men the boss wants to see marshalling his defensive line? We look at United's transfer policy and ask, what's the plan? It's panic stations as Premier League clubs wrestle with their self-imposed early transfer deadline. We look at the very real and costly ramifications of a decision that looks to be causing some clubs serious problems. Aaron Ramsey is heading into the final year of his contract. And with a new manager who isn't giving him any guarantees, does it mean the Welsh midfielder is for the off from the Emirates? And Portuguese wonder kid Rafael Leon isn't taking Sporting Lisbon's calls. Is he on the way to the Premier League and perhaps to join Pep Guardiola at Manchester City? Okay, guys, uh, thanks for joining me today. If anyone's wondering about uh, the, a bit of background noise, Ian is joining us from his holiday home in Zante, aren't you, Ian? I am indeed enjoying the sunshine, Johnny. Thank you very much. Uh, obviously still working. Transfer runs is open, so uh, my phone is on. My email is also um, inundated, but uh, that's all good because uh, business uh, must go on despite the family holiday. And uh, yeah, lots to talk about today. Incredible level of commitment. Well done, Ian. That's fantastic. <laughs> Duncan, we're going to start with you today. Um, last week, we uh, went in detail over Jose Mourinho and his apparent upset on the American tour. Um, he wants a board to deliver and he wants a signing. Where do things currently stand on that front? Yeah, so as we discussed last week, um, Jose Mourinho has... Uh, been extremely unhappy with the the transfer dealings at Manchester United. Um, He wanted a lot more reinforcement in this window than he has received so far, and he has been quite um, clearly and volubly and publicly putting pressure on the board to deliver at least one signing. He's made it clear he he would like to have two new signings in before... um, the end of the transfer window, which is just next uh, Thursday uh, for the Premier League. Um, however, he will accept getting one in. Um, he had gone into the window saying, um, well ahead of the window, saying he wanted a, a top quality centre-back to overhaul the defence. He feels he had five centre-backs there who are all much of a muchness. None of them outstanding players. None of them he can completely rely on. Um, and he wants that problem solved after, after having two years um, at the club 
with that array of centre-backs, signing two younger ones in Lindelof and Bailly, who were signed with development in mind um, to play, but also to develop but playing alongside um, what he would like to have is a better, more experienced player in there. It doesn't look like he's going to get that. It looks like it's going to be a compromise deal in that um, the club are looking at alternative centre-backs and a proposed names from the scouting department, such as Harry Maguire at Leicester City, who clearly doesn't fit that um, categorisation of uh, an experienced leader centre-back who can obviously improve the defence and take it on to another level. If you take Harry Maguire, it's going to be um, something of a risk. Uh, the guy's never played Champions League football before. He has uh, just one season at, at Leicester City. Um, and you're, you would be asking him to, to step up his game to a level where it certainly hasn't been yet. Another um, suggestion that's being put forward and actively pursued at the moment is Yeri Mina. Um, why is Yeri Mina on the list? Because Barcelona want to sell Yeri Mina. Um, they need to, to raise cash in this window. Um, they were very, they, their initial plan for a player who they only signed in January themselves was to loan him out uh, this season to allow him to get regular time in Europe, playing in Europe. Um, but uh, after the good World Cup he's had, and because of the interest from a number of, of clubs, not just Manchester United, uh, Everton have been very strong in their interest, Southampton are interested in the player, Wolves, Olympic Lyon have all made inquiries. They feel that they can get a fee, a substantial fee, and the, and the figure being talked about now, Manchester United have inquired is 45 million euros, which would be more than three times what they paid for the player in January. Mina is also a guy that United have, have scouted for a long time, um, inquired about the player before he left Palmeiras to join Barcelona. From what I understand, if you, if you were to give Jose Mourinho an option between those two, his preference would be for Yeri Mina. I think because he, he has those reservations about Maguire in terms of lack of uh, Champions League experience and lack of top club experience. And uh, Maguire being two years older than Yeri Mina, and Yerimina having greater potential to develop in his view. So we'll see what happens in the, in the next few days, but it's going to impact on other clubs in the sense that Leicester City have to wait and see what happens with Maguire. They, they want to try and avoid selling what they see as one of their marquee players now after his World Cup. And from what I'm told, the, the pricing if there is to be a price for him, it will be £75 million. They value him at the same level as Virgil van Dijk, which would probably give you another indication why uh, Jose Mourinho is reluctant to go down that route. Obviously, it will affect Everton. Um, Everton have gone a long way in negotiations with Barcelona for Mina, who they want to sign alongside uh, the, the, the left-back, Lucas Digne. Um, if they don't get him, they'll have to move elsewhere. And interestingly, one of, one of their... Uh, targets is Marcus Rojo, who United are prepared to, to sell. So we've got these last few days of the window and Manchester United scrambling, scrambling around trying to satisfy the manager to a certain extent. And what they're doing is going to impact upon the other Premier League clubs who are, who are chasing a centre-back. The way I see it, Duncan, uh, and I, from information from you know, people at Manchester United, Jose Mourinho has every right to be frustrated, but I think actually in private he's incandescent because 
the way they're running the transfer policy at this moment in time is amateurish at best. How can one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the biggest turnovers in the world, still be looking to sign a key member for next year's season squad or, in fact, a first-team starter with nine days left in the window when they were given Jose Mourinho's um, op- uh, demands, stroke, options three or four months ago. It just is unbelievable that they find themselves in this position. And one of the problems which is dogging them, and it's not a problem of Mourinho's making, and again, therefore more frustrating, is they have too many players. You said it yourself, Duncan, they've got five centre-backs currently on the roster. If they buy another one without getting one out, it's six. And Mourinho himself has always, always gone on a philosophy of two good players who start and two good players who come in as replacements. Therefore, four in every position. He's currently got one extra, and if he buys another centre-half, he has two extra. Now, if you look at Manchester United's accounts, they still have a debt of £300 million, and the Glazer family are currently taking out seriously huge dividends as salaries as well. Now, if you're Ed Woodward, the executive vice chairman, you're getting pressure from the manager Mourinho to buy. And of course, when you're buying in this inflated market, it's true, you're not going to have to pay £75 million for Harry Maguire because he's a very good World Cup and he's English. And if you look at every squad in the Premier League, they must contain eight homegrown players, which is a massive problem now for the elite clubs because they have so many foreign players. Maguire at least would satisfy the homegrown player aspect, but as you rightly point out, Duncan, Marine doesn't necessarily trust him in terms of development and, and quickly becoming that elite centre-back that he needs. So, from his point of view, he's being asked to put together a side that can win the Premier League and or the Champions League, but he's doing it carrying a weight of dead wood at his club, which is effectively bringing them down. And Mourinho himself, I remember when uh, he was at Chelsea the first time, was staggered by the amount of players he had, even just for training matches, where he did 11 against 11, and he ended up having seven or eight players sitting out as substitutes. And the first thing he did, and the first opportunity he got, was get rid of those players and made sure that his squad was a nice, trim, 26-27, with an 18-man squad uh, for every, obviously, um, match day. And he has been, throughout his career, a manager who has used, in title-winning seasons, a maximum of 19 players over the majority of the season. So I can see why he's angry on both fronts. And if Manchester United don't sort this out, then I think we might be returning to the old conversation that he first brought up in uh, the January uh, window uh, of his time at Chelsea where he talked about if you go to Waitrose, you get the right eggs for making an omelette. But if you don't go to Waitrose, then you get inferior eggs and therefore you don't get the right omelette. And if that's the case, then even with the new contract signed, Manchester United and uh, Jose Mourinho could be heading in a wrong direction. Duncan, do you think there's any possibility that Jose Mourinho and Manchester United are coming to a place where they a parting of ways is an, an inevitability? I don't think it's an inevitability. But I think there are, are decisions that have to be made um, by both parties. And you know, I, I think this is the core of, of Jose Mourinho's um, problem at Manchester United. It's that he wants to be there. He is there to bring the Premier League title back to the club. That is his ambition. And that's what he expects um, the club to want as well. But 
he's quite rightly, and he, and I mean, he said this when they were knocked out of the Champions League by Sevilla, disappointingly, extremely disappointingly at home last season. He had a long press conference, which he was um, heavily criticised for. But one of the things he, he said in that and tried to make clear was this squad is not as good as Manchester City's squad, who are winning the Premier League. Any reasonable person can see that the squad that uh, Pep Guardiola inherited was stronger than the one I inherited from Louis van Gaal. Since then, uh, Manchester City have spent considerably more money. If you do the go through the numbers, it's, it was 53% more in transfer fees in the first two seasons uh, than Manchester United have. So um, there's, there's things a manager can do to make up that differential. It's very hard to make up all that differential. And his point was, if, if what he said explicitly was, if the, if the others reinforcing make the same investments as we make, then it's extremely difficult to make up that gap. If we invest more than they do, then there's a possibility of making up that gap and we've got a chance to do it. But give me the ammunition was, it, was essentially the request. And you, if you look at where the transfer business is so far this summer with nine days left, they've signed one experienced player and, and they have significantly upgraded the midfield. And that's one of the things he, they wanted. They have kept Marouane Fellaini, which is another of the things he wanted. But that's it. <laughs> Essentially, that's it. They've, they've, they've signed a, a third-choice goalkeeper to allow Joe Pereira to go out on loan and get experience. And they've signed a 19-year-old, very talented right-back, who should, um, should play first-team games this season, quite a lot of them, and should develop. But... Is a you know there's an element of risk and adaptation involved in that, and, and realistically, you can't expect a 19-year-old who's coming in injured and, and just had a, an operation and won't be fit to play till September to go straight in and be a starter for Manchester United uh, with that kind of introduction to the club in his first season. That you know that's a big ask. Um, is that squad uh, significantly strengthened? to the point where a neutral observer would say they, um, they're realistic candidates to take the title off Manchester City this season. I don't think it is. Therefore, Mourinho pressures the board to um, provide more players now for the sake of the club, not just for the sake of himself, not just because he wants to, you know, the idea of going into a season where he doesn't have a realistic prospect of, of winning the title is not one appeals to a guy who is proud and a, and a serial winner. Um, so he's pushing to see what happens. Um, and as he says, he expects to get one player in. But as I've just um, outlined, I don't think the one player he gets in will be his first choice, will end up being his first choice. There's a potential also that Toby Alderweireld comes back into this situation if Tottenham um, decide to reduce their asking price for the player and if Toby Alderweireld reduces his wage demands and Tottenham themselves are under pressure from their manager to, to provide signings so you could see something happening there in the last few days but it's happening because the club's scrambling this isn't a coherent strategic plan to put Manchester United in a position where they are stronger than their opponents or have less of a differential to their, their major opponents than last season this is, uh, well, we'll give you that player. We can do that one. That price is okay, but we're not taking him because we think that's too expensive or we don't trust your judgment on, on this player here. Um, it, it's piecemeal. 
and, and piecemeal rarely produces uh, great success at, at this level of football. Very quickly, those who then would turn this on Mourinho and say, um, you're getting paid X amount of money per year to manage players, um, you should be doing better than what you're doing, etc. Et I would say this, um, what other elite club in Europe is going into next season with two full-backs, albeit wing-backs, in their 30s, um, in Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia, who, yes, played out the skin last season, but even smaller clubs um, in the Premier League have looked at that same position, and I've dealt with many of them in terms of what they requested in, uh, of their like, full-backs to be replaced for this coming season because of the same reason. They didn't expect the incumbent full-backs because of age, uh, which always causes degradation in performance regardless, the uh, possibility of injury, etc., etc. They didn't expect them to perform at the same level as they did last season. And therefore, they've been replacing, and replacing at quite a high level. And yet Manchester United, have, are looking at, and Jose Mourinho, are looking at starting the season with Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia and two, full, two centre-backs, one of whom they haven't even bought yet. So that's... You've got to say a disadvantage, um, first and foremost, with regards to you know the, how that defence sets itself up. So the idea that Mourinho doesn't improve players or, or put players at a higher level, look at the performances of Valencia and of Young in their age group. And then more important, look at the development of Jesse Lingard and the way that he's become a key player for Manchester United and for England at the World Cup finals. Mourinho is doing his job. What he's not getting is the support from Manchester United in doing their job in order to give him at least the tools to work with, which can make them highly competitive in what is already a very hard competitive situation. Yeah, just, just very quickly, I mean, Ashley Young is a great example there, that, that criticism of, of Mourinho not managing and not improving players. Ashley, Ashley Young barely played for Manchester United before Mourinho arrived. He was close to moving to China. He was that far out of the picture during Mourinho's reign, yet he's just gone to the World Cup as the, as the starting left wing-back for England and is the, the starting left back for Manchester United. So he's definitely done a job of coaching and managing that player, um, regardless of what you think about uh, his job with the rest of the squad. Duncan, the word you used earlier was scrambling. Um, and to open this out into a wider context, I wonder if some of this pain that Manchester United and Jose Mourinho are going through is linked to the decision to bring the transfer window forward to before the season starts. I mean, it's the 9th of August that it closes, which is a week on uh, Thursday. Do you think that that's part of the problem here, that the Premier League clubs have made a mistake? I do. Um, I, Mourinho was actually asked about this this week, and he said he himself was in favour in principle of the transfer window closing uh, before the, the season started. His, his problem was that the Premier League started earlier than competitor leagues in Europe and uh, therefore was a, a disadvantage um, because not only were they, they, they were closing unilaterally closing the window earlier, the, the season started so much earlier, you were having you know, a three-week um, gap uh, and giving giving the other uh, major leagues an uh, the ability to take advantage of and exploit that, um, I think it. I think the Premier League has has miscalculated um, hugely in this. Um, throughout my time working in football, I've talked to people um, who provide players um, for clubs uh, at the top end of all of the major European leagues, and that there's a theme 
amongst them that they, they, it always amazes them how late the, the English teams are prepared to go in the transfer window and how often they end up um, scrambling around in the final days, spending ridiculous amounts of money trying to solve problems that could have been solved months in advance. They, they, they express surprise that people in the recruitment departments of major Premier League clubs take holidays uh, during the off-season because that should be the time when they're busiest. Um, and, and not being able to get hold of, of, of people from, from Premier League clubs um, in the, the, once the window is actually open, because some of them are on holiday and prepared to leave it later. I think a huge mis miscalculation is to do this for the first time post-World Cup, because in a World Cup summer, you have the majority of the top players um, busy deep into the summer, um, and I think we've seen in this World Cup that a lot of the players who were the subject of interest from uh, other clubs just didn't even want to get involved in discussions, didn't want to, to have distractions through the World Cup. It's, it's actually a good thing for football that you see guys of that dimension focused on, um, on achieving for the national team um, on the World Cup stage when it comes around. But it makes it very tough for clubs because you've, you've got this artificial in a sense, extra four weeks um, where, the, where the players are unavailable un to, to do deals with. And now everything is getting condensed into a you know, just over three week period. And, and very, very few of the clubs of, of, of the Premier League clubs have done their business or even the majority of their business already. I think the only one who is who could, you could say are close to, maybe, they, maybe they'd want one more player in the ideal world, but Liverpool have got their business done and, and got the players they wanted and, and spent heavily. And, uh, you know, I think you, you've really got to credit Liverpool. And a, a great example is Fabinho, which they had done before the season had even ended and were able to announce um, the day after they, they lost the Champions League final as a fill-up to their fans. Um, that's proper pre-planning. And that's really what you need to do at the top end if you want to improve yourself. The lack of streamlining in the decision process, Duncan, is also a problem. Um, you talk about um, people in recruitment department, sporting directors, chairman, board members, who uh, all have a say at some point or another in the transfer, and not just the transfer, more importantly probably, the fee that's being paid and the contract to the player that's being proposed as well as a commission to the agent. Yes, we're talking about big figures. Yes, um, these are major decisions for any football club when you're talking millions of pounds and tens of millions of pounds in many cases. But the bottom line is, hey, it's no surprise, guys. It happens twice a year. So why aren't you prepared? And you're right about Liverpool having um, done their business uh, both uh, efficiently and early. Um, I think the only other club who you could even uh, compare, and I'm not comparing here in finances, of course, but comparing in terms of organisation, would be Brighton Hove and Albion, who have uh, brought in six players so far uh, already and, and are pretty set for the new season. And you've got clubs like Burnley, Everton and Tottenham, who have done almost little to no business at all with nine days left. And you think to yourself, well, exactly what's going on here, guys? You've known about this for a long time. You shouldn't be caught out in the... And, and the problem is that you get all these levels of administrative um, sort of discussion whereby it starts out with the recruitment department who contact the club where the player uh, is playing and say, 
What's your transfer fee valuation? Talk to the agent. How much money does the player want, etc., etc.? And then they then report to the people who's a, it's maybe the sport director, the chairman, the board of directors, the finance controller, etc., etc. They give them them those numbers, and then they say, "Oh, that's not good enough. We need to take this down. We take that down. The commission needs to be lower, or whatever." They then have to go back to three different parties, and say. No, actually, as a club, we're dissatisfied with that particular proposal. We would like to do it in a different way. Here's our proposal. And so it goes on and on and on until what happens is, as we've seen so many times, we get close to deadline day and the club who's been negotiating probably for in the region of seven, eight weeks, maybe even more, still hasn't found a resolution. And guess what? They end up paying the same that they were proposed in the first place to the club because they've only got one day left to make the signing. So that eight weeks has been lost. And that eight weeks has been lost not just in signing that player and getting him integrated into the squad, it's been lost in them trying to get other players as well because the same people are probably working on maybe 10, 12 other potential deals for, in the end, four players. That's usually the ratio it works out at, is maybe one in three. So you have three targets and one player who comes in. But you still trying to do the deal and you're doing the negotiations and the same people are charged with doing all of those negotiations and all of those conversations with the people above them etc etc until it comes down to deadline day and they say oh no what's happened we have kind of players quick let's just get them and end up paying a premium anyway maybe even more money it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and it, you know it's no way to run a business that's for sure i think uh, look at the last summer transfer window leicester city um, I think I'm right in saying that Adrian Silva was their most expensive buy. They managed to leave it so late they didn't have the player for the first six months of the season because he was several seconds over over deadline. And for once, um, FIFA and the Premier League wouldn't give them an exemption, or FIFA wouldn't give them an exemption on an international transfer, so it didn't go through. I mean that that is absurd to to get yourself in a situation where you're spending. I think it was 35 million euros, if I remember correctly, um, possibly more, on a, on a player, and and not actually have him for six months because you couldn't get your ducks in a row and you left it that late. Um, Tottenham, a great example. We saw Mauricio Pochettino at the end of last season, very directly saying, "If we want to win things, we need more, um, need better players, need." need to take this on a, another level. I've done what I can. He, he wanted to go to Real Madrid. Daniel Levy blocks that. Doesn't get to go to Real Madrid. This week, he's giving a press conference saying, I cannot tell you if we're going to sign one, zero, or two, or three, or four players uh, nine days before um, the, the end of the deadline. And to go back to the, the initial thing about this early deadline, it gives foreign clubs, which the majority of Premier League um, clubs are signing from overseas, there is certainly the, the high-value signings tend to be for overseas, it gives them a, a massive marketing advantage because they know that the Premier League have got less time to work with, they've got an early deadline, they know they've got the money, they know they've got pressure to do deals. Yeri Mina is a great example here. Barcelona thought they would have to loan the player out for experience because the, the coach doesn't fancy them. The club fancy him, but the coach doesn't fancy him. So the solution was put him out on loan for a year. He has a great World Cup. They say, ah, we can make some money here. And now we're talking about a 45 million um, euro fee because Manchester United have got involved and aren't organised. Um, I know that when 
when uh, Barcelona were handing out mandates for Yerry Mina at the start of the summer, it was a loan deal, or if you can manage to, to get us 20 million euros, we'd think about it. Now it's got to 45. And let's take, it, let's take us a step forward again then, Johnny, um, with regards to nine days to go. Hypothetically, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek, uh, Chelsea have got a massive problem with Thibaut Courtois. He wants to leave, uh, he's got a year left of his contract, and Real Madrid want him. So far, Real Madrid and Chelsea have not been able to agree a fee, but the player wants to leave, wants to join Real Madrid. Now, if it goes to the last day of the sea, the transfer window, and Madrid finally come up with a fee that Chelsea would agree to, and if we know the player wants to go, they then must decide whether to sell a player who they can cash in on for probably around, given Alisson costs £60 million, I mean, surely that's a benchmark for Courtois, given that he was Golden Glove at the World Cup. So they can sell and cash in on a play they bought for £18 million um, some six years ago. Uh, and they are a club who seem to be in uh, the mood for cashing in. So £60, £70 million or lose them for free next summer. Do they sell? Do they not? Well, if they sell, they've left with Willie Caballero and Robert Green as their first choice goalkeeping selection for the first six months of this upcoming season. Because that's what they've done. They brought in a 28-year-old, sorry, 38-year-old former England international as backup to Courtois, allegedly. But Dylan Courtois wants to leave. Now, you would like to think they've got a better plan than that because I think Courtois will agitate to get out in these next nine days. Let's say, OK, at the end of it, they think, do you know what? Courtois is more valuable to us as a first-team player than he is the 70, 60, 70, 70 million pounds we get from Real Madrid. We can always sell them in January, okay? But it'll be Europe. Uh, well, he won't be Europa League, won't he? So he might be able to go to the Champions League. However, his value will have decreased substantially, probably by half. And you've got a player in your squad who is both upset, angry at being denied his move to Real Madrid, and therefore mentally, emotionally, psychologically, not at top form to take his place as number one goalkeeper at Chelsea. So Chelsea lose, lose. Both ways, whatever happens, they lose. So again, this ridiculous shortened window will lead to situations like Courtois, and I predict we'll see at least three or four on the last day where clubs are facing that kind of dilemma. Do we sell now and cash in? And then, or do we keep the player against his will, against his um, decision, and then we have a very unhappy player, key player, not just happy player, um, at the club until January at, at the earliest, um, while the rest of Europe trades for three weeks on. Now, let's just say Real Madrid go and buy someone else in the three weeks because Chelsea didn't trade. And then Chelsea are stuck with an unhappy Courtois who's not got his move and is not going to get his move as well. Um, it's just, it's a disaster. And how they signed up for it, I mean, I guess the principle they all thought was quite nice and jolly because everyone sat off on a level playing field. But the, the, re, uh, the reality is that it's not just about the games played in England. It's about the games played in the Champions League and the Europa League all of next season. And that's where they're going to be handicapped. So it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Ian, was there a hubristic element where they thought we're the Premier League, other people will follow? Uh, there's no doubt there's an arrogance, Johnny, uh, about it. Um, I mean, it was interesting that at the Premier League uh, stakeholders meeting where this was passed, um, it was obviously the chief executives uh, or chairman who were present, not the coaches. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm sure the coaches were all consulted, but the coaches weren't there actually voting when it came to squeaky bum time 
and putting their hand up and saying, yes, we want this. I mean, you could argue that the only clubs is really potentially, and I say potentially because I don't think it, you know, my view is it doesn't, benefits is the, is the bottom 10 or the bottom 14 because they probably don't have either the money uh, nor even the motivation to continue trading for another three weeks. Um, although I'm sure some of them would want to. Whereas the, the, the elite clubs absolutely need to be able to compete against Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, um, Sevilla, Valencia, uh, any like, all, any of the top six clubs in the major European leagues, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Juventus, Napoli. They need to be able to compete. And that's, when I say compete, take the, those clubs' players in those last three weeks. That's going to be a very, very skewed um, way of looking at next season in terms of transfers um, from the big leagues in Europe. And I've got no doubt the the clubs in Europe, and I've spoken to many sport directors and agents who work for those elite clubs in Europe, and they're laughing at England for voting this. They did say, you know, what's, what is it you say again? Turkeys who vote for Christmas. That's what your clubs have done. And look, let's see how it plays out. My, I would not be surprised, in my view, that it reverted to the old transfer window um, situation in 2019, where it did go on beyond the start of the Premier League season, and that the clubs have, will, who voted for Christmas, uh, the Turkeys who voted for Christmas, will suddenly be voting for a late September close. I, th- I, th- I think it's, that's right. I think um, you know the Premier League has this huge advantage in that it is so competitive, and that you've got you know six. We consider six teams to be potential title. Uh, winners, I certainly regard those big six in every game as interesting between them. Maybe it won't turn out to be that way again this season, but that's the perception. And I think the Premier League, because it's got this great degree and diversity of competition at the top end, forgets that the top, those top clubs, the very top clubs, have to compete in the Champions League against teams like Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, who don't Paris Saint-Germain, who don't have much competition um, domestically and therefore can focus on their Champions League campaigns. And increasingly, we see that. We see the the top teams building to try and win the Champions League. Juventus have been doing it for years. Bayern Munich have been doing it for years. And if you then hand those opponents the kind of this 21-day advantage in the window, it's it's big trouble. And, you know, you talk about Thibaut Courtois. There's there's another factor here. Courtois can move. He can go out until the end of the transfer window. So even if Chelsea don't get their top-class replacement, um, which they're trying to do, or at least trying to get a proper first-choice replacement at the moment, they've they've tried with Kasper Schmeichel, another player, Leicester City, are refusing to sell. They're trying with other players too. Even if they they don't get that player, Thibaut Courtois can say and, and agitate for a move for 21 days. He can say, "Well, look, I don't care if you haven't if you haven't got a replacement for me. This is my opportunity to move to Real Madrid. I've made it very clear to you I want to go back to Madrid. That's where my family are. I'm not going to sign a new contract. I warned you a long time in advance that this is this is the move I want to pursue. And if you don't, haven't managed to to get a replacement in in time, and we've waited for that, then maybe I agitate for the move anyway and make it clear." that I'm not going to perform at the same level unless you sell me now because this is my chance to go to Real Madrid. So so there's that element there. Chelsea can't take it as a given that if they refuse to sell Courtois because they don't get a replacement in, that they get a good season from him. 
um, that, that there's an element of gamble in that. There's an element of relying on the player, player's professionalism and, or relying on the hope the player might have that you can get the move in January or, or the move in a year's time. But there's also the chance that Madrid say, well, we couldn't get Courtois now. We need a goalkeeper now. We'll go and sign someone else in this window. And that's, that's it over for you, Thibaut. I mean, to put, to put it very um, sort of bluntly, Johnny, look out after the 9th of August. Look out for those big braziers outside training grounds, the banners, players on strike. <laughs> we, want, we want white vans going past, tooting their horns in support of these guys on 200 grand a week. They want to move somewhere else. They're on strike. I'm not going to training. I'm going to, I'm going to protest. And any player that crosses that picket line at that training ground is getting hell. I guarantee that, that's what we're going to be looking at. I've got visions of Pierre van Hoydonk at Nottingham Forest going on his one-man uh, strike. Yeah, yeah. He was, he, was, he was the original. He was the original. Uh, well, moving on from one side of London to the other, uh, Chelsea's fierce North London rivals, Arsenal. And uh, Aaron Ramsey is a player that only has one year left on his contract. He did an interview on Arsenal's pre-season tour where he was pretty non-committal about his future. Ian, what's the latest on that? Well, Aaron Ramsey's a player who's been a very, um, you'd say, exceptional servant to Arsenal. Sure, he's had injury problems in his time at the club, but um, I don't think anyone either inside the club or outside doubts his, his ability and talent and his industry with regards to how he applies himself. Um, so in those um, uh, ways, he is your ideal professional footballer. And um, as a result, I think he he clearly has an idea, as do most elite footballers, of what their value and what their worth is. And they're looking around the dressing room and they see what other players are being paid. And in Arsenal's case, the ludicrous contract that they awarded to Mesut Ozil um, at the, in February of this year. And Ramsey, well, maybe doesn't think he's going to get that kind of level of contract, sees himself in a position where that all footballers do when they come to the age of 28, um, think, OK, this could be my last major contract um, going forward. Um, you know, if I sign a four-year contract now, the next renewal will be 32. Unless I'm Cristiano Ronaldo, who is obviously an alien from another planet, then I'm not looking to get a contract upgrade at 34. So... Um, this has got to be the right decision for me and my family. Now, there's no doubt that he loves playing for Arsenal. And there's no doubt that I think he would um, he would like to stay at Arsenal on the right terms. But so far, those terms haven't been offered. But more importantly, and slightly more worrying for Aaron Ramsey is, the conversations I understand he's had with Unai Emery so far have been a bit vague about what he understands his position to be under Emery and under his new regime. Um, he, he doesn't really understand... you. Know, I don't think Emery's committed to a system yet, even though he's had a good few weeks of pre-season now. Um, and Ramsey's a player who is very intelligent, very tactically astute as well. A player who, if you tell him what you want him to do, he will do it and he will perform that task. And so Ramsey doesn't see himself as being someone who cannot be spoken to or has you know, not got the uh, cog- cognizance to understand what it is uh, his, our manager's plans are from uh, in a tactical sense. I think he's a bit unsettled by that. And that's why I think he um, is happy for his agents to um, just listen to people who might be interested, um, take a little bit of um, you know chat from the likes of Chelsea, um, even um, a bit of interest from Liverpool, I understand. I think 
I think there's no vacancy in the first team at Liverpool right now with the recruitment of, of Fabinho and Keita. But but Ramsey would certainly be a very good addition to Jurgen Klopp's squad as a creative box to box midfielder. So um, Ramsey, I think, is is taking time and he, and I think quite rightly taking his time to weigh up his options. Uh, he's got nine days left in this window. I don't think, interestingly, he's particularly worried about moving in the next nine days. Because as of January in 2019, he can sign a pre-contract with any club outside of England, as um, Emery Chan did with Juventus, and um, and move then, move next summer for free when the fee that would be demanded for him now of around 35, 40 million, maybe even more, would be paid to him in wages and signing on fee. So again, the um, actual worth of his contract as a free agent is clearly significantly more than what it is um, leaving now with Arsenal to a transfer fee. Um, look, to me, Ramsey is, again, uh, one of the few candidates of British players who would happily go abroad and ply his trade and would learn the language and would fit in and would be a success. So his options are not purely limited to the, the Premier League. Um, and as a, a free agent, his both his options and his contract value would be greatly increased. So um, I think I'm a big loss for Arsenal and Emery. But at the same time, I get this. I get the feeling with Emery that he's not one to to stand on tradition and culture. We saw the way that Jack Wilshere, someone who had been endlessly indulged at the Emirates Stadium with regards to contracts and the way that he recovered from injuries and then still got to come back and do everything else. We saw the way that Emery was quite cold in telling him, well, yeah, you ain't going to play in my first team. You might be a sub. So it's not come to that with Ramsey yet. That's certainly the case. He's not been told he won't be a, a starting player. But I think Ramsey's quite cool uh, as well about what his options are. And it'll be interesting to see if anything does happen in the next nine days. I think that's, it's a, a story you flagged up in the podcast months ago that, that Ramsey was a, a, a potential problem area for Arsenal and that they hadn't been able to renew his contract. I think for me, it's a big warning sign when the player is talking about his agent having discussions with the club during the last days of the transfer window because um, that suggests to me the club are worried um, and they are thinking about cashing in on their options. Um, that they, they realise that he could leave and they realise there's a danger of losing him for nothing in, effectively in January when he would be able to, to take those, those options of, of uh, signing a, on, on a free um, for foreign clubs for the coming season and uh, they want to find out if they can tie him down now and the reason they want to find out if they can tie him down now is if they can't tie him down now they, they would look at selling him now. Um, Normally, in a situation like that, if you're confident retaining the player, you you leave it till after the transfer window is finished, um, and you have more time to discuss calmly. Okay, well, before we move on to the legendary quickfire round, we have a little bit of news from Portugal. Duncan, what's the latest? Yeah, this is about uh, Rafael Leon, who. Um, we told you in the podcast several months ago was of interest to Manchester City and they've been trying to get him from Sporting. Since then, he has uh, torn up his contract at Sporting as one of the, the many players who used the, the Just Cause regulation um, to try and get out of the club, um, Rui Patricio being the, the most obvious and now a Wolves um, player for the coming season. 
Um, City have had another meeting with his agent in uh, the past days um, to, I understand, make, a, make an offer to the player. Sporting are um, perplexed by the situation because although the, you've got this just cause um, um, brought into effect, they are in a position where they're, they obviously are fighting that legally and they see that there can be compromise deals to be done on players of this type. So they would expect Manchester City to come to them with a, an offer to settle the case if they want the, the player, you know, not, not offer them the, 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 the full release clause, which I think was, was 50 or 60 million euros in his case. Um, but to say, okay, we'll, we'll give you this as, as long as you, um, you forget about um, contesting the just cause and the player comes to us and we sort the terms out. They've heard nothing from Manchester City and, and more worryingly from their point of view, they cannot get hold of either the player or, or his agent. He's gone completely AWOL, um, can't get him on the phone, don't know what the situation is um, and are, are concerned about that. And I think that will tell you that um, there are, there's interest from other clubs. Um, what I am told is that there's debate between the agent and the player's father over where is the best place to go. Would it be a club like Manchester City, a top club, or are you better off moving to someone like Monaco who are also interested where you get more playing time at this stage of his career because he's a teenager. But definitely one to watch over the, the, the next few weeks because there's, um, there's a lot of interest in the player and he could end up coming to the Premier League with Manchester City. I suspect we'll see him, Johnny, outside with the, the brazier with the other guys on strike soon. Uh, <laughs> it's supporting his brothers in their poverty. <laughs> Solidarity. Okay, well, uh, we'll move on to the quickfire round now. And today we're going to look at six of the biggest signings to come into the Premier League. And I'm going to ask the lads whether or not they think those players will be a hit or a miss. First of all, we're going to start with Alison of Liverpool and Duncan. Hit or a miss? Very expensive. Um, obviously, world record transfer fee, breaking the oldest um, transfer fee record um, um, that stood for, I think, um, what was it, 17 years or something like that? Um, so 72.5 million euros total they will pay for him. I don't think he's the best goalkeeper in the world. I think most people would agree with that. But huge improvement on what they had. Again, not very hard. I think the, the question for Alisson will be, and, and Jurgen Klopp's talked about this, is how quickly he can adapt to Premier League um, environment in terms of the physicality um, that, that goes towards goalkeepers. And you, you'd, you'd like to think that he, he's well set up for that because he is a, a big, um, imposing uh, physical goalkeeper. Um, and I think if I'm, you ask me to make a judgment now, I'll say hit because really he doesn't have to improve him very much. So um, I, I, even an average season should be um, sufficient to improve Liverpool's defence. It's also heartening to see you stick to the rules of the quickfire round, Duncan, for a change. So that's impressive. Just this one. Just this one. <laughs> Ian, Nabi Keita. Um, okay, so again, a good example of Liverpool doing the transfer business early, in this case one year early. Uh, unusual in that sense, I suppose. Um, usually that's a good thing that Real Madrid do with Brazilian players still playing in their home country. 
definitely improve in terms of uh, creativity. I think Liverpool have struggled in central midfield for that, although uh, as everyone in this, uh, who listens to the Transform the Podcast knows my love of the great James Milner and uh, the things he did at the end of last season. So I'll be sad to see uh, the great James uh, relegated in places. But I think uh, Keita will be, yes, a big upgrade for Liverpool. He can play box-to-box, he can play as a 10, um, and he, I think he'll play in, a, in the central two um, with the three-plus-one striker um, next season. If um, not such a great season for Abby Leipzig last year as he had the season before, but um, I think that's got to do with a player's uh, mind is already in another place. He's already, you know, imagining himself in the red of Liverpool, and that's understandable. Therefore, I predict he will be a hit. Duncan, Jorginho. I think Jorginho has to be a hit for Maurizio Sarri. I think he's banking a lot on him. Um, obviously, Chelsea put a lot of money into that transfer. Um, a surprising amount of money, but as we talked about, it's kind of the, the, the one present that the new manager gets um, at, at Chelsea where he's allowed to bring a, a player in he wants and then suddenly the, the club reverts to um, deciding who the transfers will be um, for in, in all the other positions. Um, I think, again, there's, uh, there, there's an adaptation process to the Premier League. Um, it's probably aided for him in the sense that he can expect the team to be built around him because he's so central to what Sari wants to do because Sari will implement the same tactical setup or very close version of the tactical setup he had at Napoli and Jorginho will be the centrepiece of it. So I think on that basis, I'll say hit um, because he, you know, he, normally a player coming into a club has to adapt to the club and to, to the tactics and the manager. In this case, that's he only has to adapt to the league, um, and I think he's good enough to to do just that one one part. So let's call him a hit. Okay, Ian Richarlison. I have my doubts about this one. Um, I've expressed my uh, not surprise but um, disdain at the fee. I think. Um, Everton's transfer business has been even more shambolic than Manchester United's in terms of the fees they pay. Uh, and the fees they pay for, I think, players who do not justify that kind of investment. This is a player who was at best inconsistent for Watford. Uh, what we saw were glimpses of um, a talent, but not uh, the kind of consistency, nowhere near the kind of consistency that you would expect um, of a £50 million player, put that a player who costs £50 million. I think Everton were well-warned with Gilfie Sigurdsson's uh, performances last season. This is what you get when you overpay in this market for a player um, who will struggle to give you back what you expect. And therefore, um, with the lack of, sort of front players as well, I mean, Everton have had an overload of number 10s last season. Uh, Schenk's posting aside, they don't really have um, a sort of... Well, Tosin himself is not uh, yet proven himself to be a 20-goal season striker. Richarlison can play as a number 10, but usually plays in from outside into the box. I think I, I'm going to say a miss on this one, Johnny, although obviously um, it's only pre-season, so I'm, I'll be pleased to be proven wrong, but I think the omens are not good. Duncan, Riyad Mahrez... Riyad Mahrez is one that I surprises me. It surprises me how much money uh, Manchester City have paid £60 million for the player um, who 
I do not see being first choice for Manchester City. I think he's been brought in as, as cover um, for Leroy Sané. Um, also cover um, for Sterling. I don't think he's going to be the first first choice um, starter in either wing position. I mean, they also have Bernardo Silva there. So I'm surprised that they, they decided to, to pursue Riyad Mahrez, give him a big contract. Um, I don't think he would have been Pep Guardiola's first choice um, in this area of the field. I think it's a, a compromise deal in a sense, although a very expensive one. Um, will he damage Manchester City? No, he obviously strengthens them. It gives them, a, gives them more quality in that area of the field, but um, will he have an outstanding season? I don't expect him to have that, um, just because I don't think he'll, he'll get enough games. So I think if we look at back at this in a year's time, we'll probably be saying, why did they spend money there? Um, and why has if that ends up being Manchester City's biggest signing of the summer, why was the biggest signing of the summer a guy who, who we think of as a miss in a year's time? Ian, and you can close us out with your thoughts on Fred. Well, this was some somewhat... name for English football. Well, as, as I, I think I, I may have mentioned, I don't think on this podcast, but my uh, ambition is to live long enough to see Brazil produce a Dave or a Steve. <laughs> but but so, but so far... Or, or, or an Ian, or, or, or a Darren. I don't know. It's just like we're getting closer and closer to Dave or Steve, I feel. And Fred is, Fred is the closest we've got. And I love him for that to start with. But I do think as well, he was, he's been very, very well scouted. And we know that Manchester City were in for him in January. In fact, we expected Manchester City to almost snap him from under Manchester United's nose, um, either in January or in this window. And that's not happened. So, fair play to Manchester United. It's one they've got right for Mourinho. I think there's a lot of pressure on the player as a result of that. But I think um, that what we saw last season was Manchester United fans, um, people who I think are knowledgeable about the game, constantly saying, oh my God, Manchester and Michael Carrick on the on the field. And I think Fred could give them that kind of quality of passing, that range of passing, and the vision um, that they've been lacking for for a proper amount of creativity in the central midfield area. That's why he's been bought, um, and I do think that um, he the possession between him and Pogba will be interesting. But I think that um, Pogba in the right mood will um, will share. Um, with Fred in a way that he didn't with the likes of Marin Fellaini and Ander Herrera. Uh, so there'd be less selfishness on Pogba's part. And if we see that, then I think there's every chance Fred will be a hit. OK, and with that, I'm slamming this particular transfer window shut. We'll allow Ian to get back to his nice icy pint of Mythos and enjoy the rest of his holiday. Thanks for joining us. Uh, live from Greece, Ian. It was a pleasure as always. I would hate to miss it, and uh, I would also hate to miss out my holidays to be back uh, back home doing the transfer window. So this is a nice compromise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, thanks very much. Just a reminder: we are looking for a sponsor. So if you like the idea of partnering with one of the UK's best football podcasts and talking directly to our listeners about your brand, get in touch through our social media channels. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window official account, at Transfer Podcast. We're trying to build a community on that account, so everyone who follows will get a follow back. I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane, and most importantly, our pundits are at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. 
If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this helps us to reach as many listeners as possible. We'll be back next Tuesday before 3pm. Until next time, thanks for listening.